All right, well, good morning. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, the tables in the back should have a Bible there. It is our gift to you. We say it all the time. We want you to have it and keep it. Uh, if you're new to Story Church, first time here, second time here, maybe you've been around uh, a little bit. I'm gonna move this. Uh, we, we just started a new series that we're calling Embark, Life with God. Our, our goal through this series is that all of us would grow in our, our spiritual vitality. We would grow and flourish uh, in the disciplines that Jesus has given us, he's modeled for us, and taught us. So today, what we're gonna talk about is the Bible, the Bible. Uh, so as we begin, go ahead and raise your hand if you know what the second law of thermodynamics is. D- yeah, Kermit knows it. Erica? I saw that hand. Uh, okay, second law of thermodynamics. That sounds so intimidating, but when I, when I explain it, it's actually intuitive. In order for something that is hot to stay hot, it has to stay on a heat source, right? And we all go, oh yeah, I learned that uh, in chemistry for the two times I showed up to class there. Second, so the second law of thermodynamics is this idea for something that's hot to stay hot, it has to stay on a heat source. So you have a, 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 you know, a pot of boiling water, it's on the heat source, it keeps boiling. You pull it off the heat source and it cools down. It goes from hot to warm, to lukewarm, to cool, to cold. That's what that law uh, means. Jim Gray, hard turn here, is a world-famous sports writer, and he wrote a book called Talking to Goats. Uh, I read this book a couple years ago, and what he's talking about in that book is, is, and he's recalling his different interviews and times that he has spent with the various goats, the greatest of all time, uh, from different sports. So we're talking Serena, and Muhammad Ali, and Gretzky, and MJ, and so on and so forth. And what he draws out over the course of this book is that all of the greatest athletes of all time, they had to the second law of thermodynamics. That in order for them to stay the greatest, they had to keep on grinding. And the second they stopped grinding is the second their talents and their skills began to wane. Now, when we think about this, this, this law applies to our spiritual life. Jesus saves us, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us, and we, and our goal is is that one day our faith is going to become sight, but while we're here and now, our goal is that we would continue to yield to and submit to and grow in the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we would stay in step with the Spirit, that we would walk in the Spirit is what the New Testament tells us to do. And in order for us to continue to stay on that heat source, we must walk in the paths of grace that God has laid out for us. The paths of grace being the spiritual disciplines. And so over the next few months, we're gonna walk through various spiritual disciplines that keep us on the heat source and keep the Holy Spirit of God, uh, our submission to him, I should say, growing in our lives. And so this morning, we are considering the most important of the disciplines, the Bible. The word of God is most important, truly. And I'm not trying to paint with a broad stroke. All other disciplines that are not bound to, derived from, or hemmed in by the word of God are useless. And so I'm so glad you're here and hearing about how the word is so important for us. So here, here's kind of the, the main idea we're gonna, we're gonna go with this morning. Embarking on life with God hinges, turns on, depends upon intaking scripture. Embarking on life with God hinges on intaking scripture. Three things we're gonna work through this morning. Hearing the word, doing the word, and freedom that we find through hearing and doing the word. 
Embarking on life with God hinges on intaking scripture. Are we awake? Okay, good. Let's do this. First thing, hearing the word. Look at verse 22 of James chapter one with me again. Just verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now here's something that I think we tend to do. Many of us are gonna read that verse and we're gonna say, well, James hates hearing the word. He just wants us to be people of action. But that's not what James is saying here. He is not saying don't hear the word and just blindly act. He is actually making some assumptions about the Christians who are hearing this letter from James. What James is assuming is that these people are actively, regularly, and frequently saturated in the word of God. That they are being transformed by the word, renewed by the word, washed by the word. He is assuming that the word is engraved on their hearts and and posted on their doorposts. He is assuming that they are sitting at their teacher's feet every week to hear the word proclaimed and expounded and applied. He is assuming that the Christians here are hearing the word. Now, as a pastor in the modern world, if I were to make those same assumptions as James, that would make me a fool, We cannot make the assumption that we are hearing the word. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Every few years, Ligonier Ministries, started by R.C. Sproul down in Florida, publishes what they call a state of theology. This state of theology is a survey of thousands of evangelical Christians. Now, when I use that, that claim, evangelical Christians, what I am talking about is historic, orthodox beliefs of Christianity, We affirm that the word is our highest authority, that the word is inerrant. We affirm that Jesus is God and that it is only through Jesus and his finished work on the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the free gift of eternal life comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. This is the basics of our faith. This is who's being interviewed in this state of theology. Let me show you some stats that come from this. Number one, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 62% agree. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 46% agree. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 66% agree. Everyone sins a little bit, but most of us are inherently good in our nature. 61% agree. The Bible, like all other sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myths, but the Bible is not literally true. 30% agree. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending the gathering. 59% agree. There is so much more I could draw out from that, but honestly, it's too depressing. Do you, do you see the irony? People who claim the Bible as their ultimate authority are either jettisoning that authority when it conflicts with their personal beliefs, or they just simply don't know what the Bible claims. They believe in a Bible they don't read and make claims about it that they don't know. And if those percentages bear out in our midst, 
then I would be making the assumption that there's 40, 50, 60, 70 of us in this room in those categories right now. And so my heart in this here is not to condemn. My heart in, in talking about those stats is hopefully to sound the alarm that the regular practice of evangelical Christians should be that we are actively, regularly, and frequently sitting under the word of God, that we are hearing the word of God. We must hear the word of God. The scriptures are clear about this. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 Timothy four thirteen until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading, hearing of scripture to exhortation and to teaching. The Bible is eminently clear that we must hear the word and through hearing the word, we will be blessed. We will be happy. And what do I mean by that? We'll be blessed, we'll be happy. Let's, let's do a little participation game here to show you what I mean. Raise your hand, we're actually gonna do this. Raise your hand if your faith has ever been strengthened after you've read the Bible. Raise your hand if you've ever been convicted of your personal sin after hearing the word preached. Raise your hand if you've ever been comforted after listening to the scriptures. Raise your hand if you've ever been equipped for something you've been facing while studying the word. The basic teaching of the Bible is that our faith will be strengthened, thereby we will be blessed if we are regularly and actively sitting under the word, hearing the word. And frankly, church, we live in an era where there is zero excuse for us to not be hearing the word constantly. We have this gathering regularly. We have home groups where we go deeper in it. There's podcasts. And, and let, me, let me step to the side and say this. Your favorite podcast preacher is not your pastor. They don't know your name and they don't care about you. It's good to hear the word, but they are not your pastor. We have that. We have podcasts. We have dwell. We have you version. We can listen to the word while we're working out, making breakfast, getting our kids ready for school, on our commute to work, while we're watering the hydrangeas, while we're drinking our coffee, while we're talking with our family. We can hear the word and we must hear the word. James makes that assumption and we must walk in that. So practically speaking, uh, let me offer up to you just a few general ways maybe we can increase the discipline of hearing the word in our lives. Number one, prepare your heart to hear the word. Before you do your devotionals, whenever that is, early morning, at your lunch break, late at night after everyone else has gone to sleep, before you crack your Bible, pray that the Holy Spirit of God would illuminate the scriptures to you that he would make Jesus beautiful, that he would make the gospel clear, that he would teach you and guide you and help you. Uh, Don Whitney, who I mentioned last week, who wrote the book, The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, tells a story in the book about um, the differences between the church he pastored in Louisville, Kentucky, and, and the church he was asked to preach at overseas. He, he, what he talks about is he would show up to his church, and about five or so minutes before the gathering is when people would start filtering in, 
And then he would walk in and he would, he would hear two primary conversations happening. Number one, they'd be talking about the weather. And number two, they'd be talking about Kentucky Wildcat basketball. Okay? And then he gets invited to go speech, speak at this church in, in South Korea. And he shows up to the church about an hour early. And he walks into the sanctuary to find it jam-packed with people quietly and reverently laying before the Lord, asking for him to speak to them at the gathering, to comfort them, convict them, and to grow them. They are preparing their hearts to hear the word in a way that is foreign to us. And even some of us are scoffing at that. Like, Travis, church starts at 9 How am I supposed to get in here and start praying? You prioritize what you love. It's just that simple. Prepare your heart to hear the word. Number two, read the word daily. Barna Research Group interviewed, again, thousands of evangelical Christians and just two stats. They asked, how many of you read your Bible daily? 18%. How many of you have read your Bible never? 23%. 5% more of so-called Christians have never read their Bible versus those who read it daily. Prioritize the reading of the word. Number three, related to that, study the scriptures. Let's hit, let's hit you with some facts real quick. Lord of the Rings, 1,200 pages would take you about 100 hours to read at the average pace. Harry Potter, 3,000 pages would take you over 300 hours to read. The Bible, 1,000 pages, would take you about 75 hours to read, cover to cover. That is less than the average person spends on technology per month. If we were to get rid of our cell phones, we would read the Bible cover to cover by mid-February. Now, I say all of that to say this. We have no problem studying Lord of the Rings Like, what's the wizard gonna do? And are we gonna get that ring in the volcano? (laughs) I'm not making fun of Tolkien. I like Lord of the Rings. I think it's good. Okay? Like Harry Potter. Oh, they got a new Harry Potter ride. Let's go. Gotta get on the ride. Oh, there's a new series. I'm not making fun of Harry Potter. I've read it. I like it. Okay? What I am saying is we study it and we study those things deeply even though they're long and they're complex and at times they're confusing. But then we get to the Bible and we're like, it's long and it's complex and at times it's confusing. I give up. R.C. Sproul says this. Here then is the problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. Am I right? Study the Bible. Get into it. Read it. Love it. Number four, meditate on chunks of scripture. Find parts of the Bible that minister to you. Maybe it's Psalm 23. Maybe it's a portion of Psalm 119. Maybe it's Colossians 1. Maybe it's Ephesians 5. I don't know what it is, but find a passage of scripture and just dwell on it. Meditate on it. As I heard yesterday with the guys, let it seep into your pores. Let it get into your heart. Think about it deeply. Meditate upon it. 
Number five, memorize promises of scripture. This is crucial to my walk with Jesus. My favorite in all of scripture, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have memorized that and I stand on that all the time. Why? Because I am a sinner in need of grace and I am regularly reminded after I sin that because Jesus has saved me, I'm not condemned. I am saved, I am his, I belong to him. He has forgiven me and he has made me new. I can now walk in the newness of life that Jesus has purchased for me. So I have to cling to Romans 8.1. What is it for you? I will not leave you nor forsake you. Fear not, for I am with you. What is it? Find a promise and cling to it and think about it. And then finally, make this gathering a priority. Uh, our regular practice at Story Church is just preaching verse by verse through books of the, of the Bible. I felt compelled by God to do this series because I think the spiritual disciplines is an area as a church where we're anemic and we stalled out in our growth because of that with the Lord. So I, I felt like we needed to do this. But our regular practice is to preach through books of the Bible. And our hope as we do that is to teach us all how to read the word and hear the word. So we're going we're gonna to do Ruth in December. And then we're going to go into Galatians. And then we're going to do Proverbs. And then we're going to do First Peter. And that's going to take us all the way through the end of next year. That's where we're going. And our hope is we would hear the word. Now, some of us are hearing this and saying, man, I find myself in those percentages. I want to learn the Bible. I want to read it. I just don't know where to start. I love that. That's the Holy Spirit awakening you, saying, go and do something about it. So, so let me give you two things to do with that. Elders at story.church, staff at story.church. Send an email to either one or both of those and say, I want to read my Bible, I don't know what to do. And you will get a bunch of dudes who are jacked to respond to that. <laughs> Clear everything, let's get into the word together. We will do it. Please just email and, and do that. So hear the word. Next, do the word. Do the word. So if we refuse to hear the word, we're going to be spiritually anemic, we're going to be tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves of modern doctrine and satanic ideology. We're going to be anchorless in a wave-tossed world. We're going to be starving, malnourished people if we refuse to hear the word. But there's an equal and opposite danger on the other end of the spectrum where we are in danger of being spiritual gluttons, where we hear the word and hear the word and hear the word and hear the word with no action, with no doing, with no obedience walking out with the word commands of us. Look back at the text with me again. Verses 22 through 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in, the, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. There is a deception that happens if we simply hear the word and become spiritual gluttons. If we are unchanged and not moved to action and obedience through the word of God. And James gives a word picture of what this looks like. He talks about a mirror. He says it's like looking into a mirror at the beginning of your day, walking away and forgetting what you saw. What does this mean? Well, what's the purpose of a mirror? Like, aside from the vain purposes of I gotta look at myself 74 times a day and take 33 trillion selfies, not that, 
The purpose of a mirror at the beginning of the day is to make sure you're clean, neat, prepared, ready to face the day. Like, do I have any cilantro in my teeth? Is my hair combed over? Did I miss a spot shaving? Did I hit one eyelash with that little black stick, but I forgot to do the other side of it? You do that inspection, you see the flaws, and you do nothing about it, and you just go on your day. He says, that's what it's like to hear the word and not do the word. You see, the word is meant to reveal to us our spiritual flaws. Where are we drifting away from holiness? Where are we forgetting the gospel? Where are we not submitted to the word? It shows us how God has designed us to live. And if we just sit and read and hear that, but then we don't walk in the remedies and the ways God has given us, it's like being the person who just leaves the cilantro. It's like the person, I know it's called mascara, okay? (laughs) Just trying to make you laugh. And it worked. It's like the person who knows the remedies to the flaws and doesn't do anything about it. So, we must look into the mirror of the word of God, hear it, and then walk in the ways, do the works that is described for us in the scriptures. Let me walk through three ways that this works. Number one, we take action to turn from sin and receive his grace. The primary use of the word of God, primarily the law, the commands of God, the demands that God has for his people is to reveal to us where we have fallen short of fulfilling those demands. He reveals to us in his kindness where we have fallen short and where we have spiritual flaws, but it is also on the back end of that kindness that leads us to repentance where God reminds us in his word that we could never keep the law, but Jesus has in our place and he has given us his record of perfection and has taken from us our record of shame and guilt. We are reminded again and again and again where we have fallen short and where we fall short, the word of God is meant to propel us further into dependence and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is where the gospel sinks deeper and deeper and deeper in our souls. Number two, we are taught through God's word how to walk in his design for the good life. God teaches us in the word how he has designed this world and given us rails, so to speak, of how to walk obediently. And on the other end of that obedience, we will be blessed and happy and have joy. But here's where Satan perverts things, maybe by a mile, maybe by an inch, and he deceives us just like Eve was deceived and saying, did God really say, is that how you should live? You should veer over here and if you do that, you're gonna truly find life. And friends, that's a lie from Satan. And we go back to God's word again and again and again. And we were taught, this is how we should live. And if we do it, we'll be blessed. Let me give you some examples. Let's go to 10 commandments. Don't murder. What does that teach us? It teaches us that God is about life. He sent his only son, Jesus, to rescue us and give us new life. But God is relentlessly, ruthlessly life-oriented. And as Christians, we do the word by being relentlessly and ruthlessly pro-life. 
which means as Christians, we are on the front lines of saying abortion is an evil ideology and God has given us better ways to live. We are pro-foster care. We have church, families in this church that are pro-foster care and adoption. We are for the single mothers in our midst and in our city. We are, we are relentlessly and ruthlessly pro-life. And if we live within these rails, we're going to find the true good life that God has for us. God's word says don't commit adultery. That teaches us that God is faithful. God is steadfast in his faithfulness to us the good life is found in being a faithful person, faithful to your word, faithful to your spouse, faithful to your children, faithful to your work, faithful to your church. A, a whimsical life is not the good life. The good life is a rooted and grounded faithful life where we keep our word and we walk in the ways God has designed us. God's word says don't steal that teaches us about God's character, that he is generous and gives good gifts to his children. We don't need to go take from someone else. God has already given us everything that we need and is for our good. What that tells us is that the good life is a generous life, a giving life. Some of the most miserable Christians I know are the least generous Christians I know. I'm not gonna give my time, I'm not gonna serve, I'm not gonna give, I'm gonna keep it all to myself and then we sit there and wonder why I have no joy. You have no joy because it is, it, is, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The good life is the generous life. Don't bear false witness. God is true and God keeps his promises. The good life is a life of truth and integrity. God's word says, be kind to the orphan, the widow, and the refugee. God cares for the least. God's word tells us to love justice Walk humbly and live in mercy. God cares about justice. As followers of Jesus, we must care for the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the least, the last, the lost. And we give our lives away to be about justice in this world, justice the way in which God has designed it. God gives us in his word the way we should live to find the good life. And if we stay in those rails, we will be blessed. Finally, we obediently love God and love neighbor. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in case you asked, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving neighbor is the pinnacle of what this word, word teaches us to walk in. Where we are endlessly committed to growing in our love of God in response to how much he loves us. And we are continuing to grow in loving our neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Everyone. That's your neighbor. And so we do things that demonstrate that love for God and for neighbor. We practice hospitality. We live on mission. We share the gospel. We build relationships. We welcome the outsider to become insiders. So, Practically, how can I move towards my hearing moving into doing the word? Well, let me start with a quote from Thomas Watson. Take every word in this Bible as spoken to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think God means my sin. When the word presents any duty, think God intends me to do this. 
Many put off scripture from themselves as if, it is only concern, as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will do no good unless it is applied. So how can we do the word? Number one, slow down and think about the passage you're reading. We are assaulted by information every day. We must learn to read the Bible differently than we read emails, text messages, and Instagram captions. We have to slow down. Do not rush your time in the word. One way to do that is to ask application-oriented questions of the passage. When you're reading a passage, ask questions like, does this passage reveal something I should believe about God? Does this passage reveal something I should praise God or thank God for or trust God for? Does this passage reveal something I should pray about for myself or for others? Does this passage teach me a new attitude I should adopt in my life? Does this passage reveal some, some, uh, something I should make a decision in? Does this passage reveal an action I should do for the sake of Christ, others, or myself? Asking yourself these questions causes you to slow down and think about how does, this, how does this passage move me to action? When you ask those questions, respond specifically. If the passage, for example, is saying practice hospitality, respond specifically by getting to know a neighbor, inviting them to your home, and practicing hospitality. If the passage says, care for the widow and orphan, find a widow or orphan in your life, I promise there's one, and care for them. Provide for them, pray for them, love them, build relationship with them. Respond specifically, not generally, to the, to the passage. Number four, refuse casual and blatant disobedience. Some oftentimes, I should say, in the passage, there is a plain and a simple reading, and that plain and simple reading is the plain and simple meaning of the passage. Sometimes we make it more complex than it needs to be. And so sometimes we read this, and we're like, all right, I'm gonna find my way out of this because, well, I haven't interpreted it yet. It's like, no, 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 it says be generous. Go and be generous. It says serve, go and serve. It's that easy, but so often we just walk in casual and blatant disobedience. And then finally, ask God for his spirit's power. I read the word so often and think, oh boy, I can't do that, and I can't. But the Holy Spirit of God can empower me to do these things. Ask God to help. Hear the word, do the word. Finally, last point here, freedom through the word. Look back at the text. Look at verse 25 with me. But... The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. James says that the law, the word of God, is perfect. He says it is through the word, through the law, that we find liberty. And if we persevere in our hearing of the word, and we persevere in our doing of the word, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be happy. What in the world is James talking about? He's talking about Jesus. What does John 1.14 say to us? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Jesus is the word in flesh dwelling among us. And Jesus is perfect. And he perfectly fulfilled the law. All the ways in which I don't, where God demands of Travis Cunningham, don't take my name in vain. And he demands, don't worship false idols. And he says, don't covet, just to name a few. And then I fail to do those things and I walk in sin. It is Jesus who perfectly does all of those things. And the scandal of the gospel is that God, before anything existed, looked at Travis Cunningham and said, I know all of your sin that you're gonna commit before you love me and after you love me. And I'm still gonna choose you. And I'm gonna take your record of failure and give give you Jesus's record of perfection. Are you kidding me? He is perfect, and he perfectly fulfilled the law. Thanks for sitting there, guys. You're in the splash zone. (laughs) And Jesus is the one who gives us liberty. What does John 8, 36 say? Who the Son sets free is free indeed. It is through the word that we know that. It is through hearing the word and doing the word that we truly live as freed people. How does Jesus free us? He frees us from some things and he frees us to some things. He frees us most prominently from sin and bondage. God frees us from the shackles of sin and death through the gospel And after we've been saved by Jesus, he continues to free us to walk in the way he has designed. So he says, don't gossip. And we are freed from gossip because we know that gossip ruins our souls and damages other people. We are freed from committing adultery, knowing that adultery, it hinders our prayers and it drives us away from God and from our spouses. We do not lie because we know that lying distorts reality and how we live in response to God. And it is only through the liberty Jesus has given us that we are awakened to those realities. And when we fail in them, we run back to him and find forgiveness and freedom afresh. We're freed from some things, and we're also freed to other things. We are freed to live a life with abandon for Jesus, because if we belong to Jesus, what else matters? My reputation doesn't matter. My accomplishments don't matter. What I do in this world don't matter. I belong to Jesus. I am freed to be generous because it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I am freed to love because he first loved me. I am free to get to know my neighbor and share the gospel because he welcomed me, an outsider, to his table and shared with me the truth of Jesus. If we simply hear the word but we refuse to do the word, we are leaving that liberty on the table. We are not living in the way God has designed for us. And so as we obediently do the word, we are blessed, happy people. Hear the word, do the word, find freedom through Jesus. So one thing I'm gonna try and do uh, each, t- each week during this series is offer just like one thing. I gave you a bunch of general application today. What is one thing I want us to do as a church family over the next week as it pertains to the Bible? Here's what I want. Find a spot in your calendar 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, somewhere. Maybe it's, maybe it's your, your cigarette break. You're ripping heaters. Instead of doing that, read your Bible. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, sorry. <laughs> the, 
Maybe it's your lunch break. Again, maybe it's as you drink your morning coffee. Maybe it's right after your workout. I don't know where it is. Find a 15, 20 minute slot, put it in your calendar and refuse to move it. Refuse to reschedule it. And here's what I want us to do. Go to Romans 8. I love Romans 8. John Piper calls it the crown jewel of all of scripture. Print it out, okay? Just copy it to a Word doc and print it out. And then for those 20 minutes, for the next seven days, read it again and again and again and again and highlight it and mark it up and write, meditate on specific portions of it and ask yourself three questions while we do this. What does Romans 8 reveal about God? What does Romans 8 reveal about me? And what does, it reveal, what does it prompt me to change about my life? Just those three simple questions. Hear Romans 8 again and again and again and again. And then ask those questions. And what does it prompt you to do? How does it prompt you to act? And as you do that, find yourself being blessed and renewed and transformed by the word of God. Let's embark on this life together with God through the scriptures. Keep ourselves on the heat source and understand the gospel all the more. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you that you've given us your word, that you have spoken to us. You are not silent. You don't leave us wondering and asking questions. You have revealed to us who you are, how much you love us. You have revealed to us everything we need for life and for godliness. It is through your word that we can train in godliness, grow in that godliness, yield all the more to the Spirit's work in our lives. And so God, I pray you would move us to be people who fall deeper in love with your word and through that fall deeper in love with you, responding to how much you love us. We thank you, God. I pray you would grow us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.